Hello and welcome to the second episode of Perspectives, a podcast where we explore geopolitical perspectives on today's challenges. In this episode, we will tackle the emerging phenomenon of vaccine diplomacy, which, although not new in principle, has gotten renewed attention with the development and production of vaccines to protect against the COVID-19 pandemic. To discuss vaccine diplomacy with us is guest David Elwood, professor and expert in soft power at the John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. Professor Elwood, thank you very much for coming on. I'll get right into it. So what is vaccine diplomacy and what does it have to do with geopolitics? Well, if that's a, it's a question a lot of people are asking right now, uh, there are various protagonists. Uh, vaccine diplomacy is uh, an instrument that certain states are using to try to increase their influence in various parts of the world. Uh, it's, a, it's a strategy um, devised by a series of states in particular uh, who wish to uh, increase their influence, uh, what I call soft power. For me, soft power is about uh, the force of example. Uh, it's the connection between hard power and influence. Uh, and to me, the most effective uh, connection between hard power and, and influence is the force of example. Uh, and the force of example uh, can be your society, it can be your industries, it can be your government, it can be your ideals, it can be your leading figures, uh, it can be uh, your religions, it can be your successes in sport or or in uh, or in uh, media or in in science and technology and so forth. Uh, these days, in these days, uh, certain states have decided that. Um, Producing and distributing vaccines is a way of increasing their soft power in the world. And the most obvious examples of these have been, have been um, first of all, the Chinese, the Russians, and the Indians. The British also tried, in a way, uh, Boris Johnson wanted to make um, Britain a soft power superpower. That's his phrase. Uh, but then shadows began to fall over the AstraZeneca product, which was a, uh, made by Oxford University. It was invented by Oxford University and then manufactured by AstraZeneca, which is an Anglo-Swedish company, uh, and he was trying to boost this. Well, that, that sort of fell by the wayside. Uh, the Chinese uh, and the Indians and the, uh, the Russians all used this as an instrument of state policy. It's a public, what used to be called, what's normally called public diplomacy. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the, the Indians have obviously uh, fallen by the wayside because uh, they've been overtaken by their own catastrophe. Uh, they were using uh, the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine made in India, made in India on license, to um, to win friends uh, in the whole of South South Asia, in uh, Myanmar, in um, uh, in the Maldives, in everywhere except Pakistan, which uses Chinese stuff. South Africa, they even exported it to, to South Africa. Well, all that has obviously come to, to, to a, a, drama, a dramatic halt. Um, the Chinese are still very active uh, in pushing their vaccines wherever they, uh, they can. In fact, just yesterday, I read that the, the Turks, the Turkish government is supplying Chinese vaccines to Albania. Now, uh, Albania is, is a core country in the Balkans. And the Balkans, Central Europe, and the Balkans in particular have been an area of geopolitical 
struggle, struggle for influence uh, for a number of years now uh, with uh, the Russians involved, obviously, uh, with uh, the Muslim world involved, uh, obviously, in various forms, the Turks, because this used to be part of the Turkish Empire. Uh, and there are certain signs that Erdogan would like to reconstruct the, the Ottoman Empire if he possibly can. And last but not least, uh, the European Union. Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a great deal of, of anxiety about the, the performance or lack of performance of the European Union on the Balkan front. A lot of anxiety about that. Finally, there come the Russians. And the Russians are the most, uh, they are the ones who provoke the most controversy. Uh, and you can see all kinds of, in fact, just yesterday, I read an article in the German news service about <clears throat> the Russians using their vaccine, the Sputnik V, as a weapon of soft power. Uh, and they actually use, they actually use the phrase soft power. Um, <clears throat> the interesting thing about this is that the, the Russians have a very, very respectable history of producing vaccines. Uh, ever since, uh, I'm not, I mean, right after the, after the Spanish flu of 1919, after the Soviet, the Soviet revolution, uh, the first thing they had to face was bubonic plague of all things. Uh, and from that time on, they developed um, capacity to, to um, produce vaccines, to, to design vaccines and manufacture them, uh, which has turned out to be very, very effective. Uh, and therefore, their vaccine has 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 a distinct credibility and legitimacy of its own. The question: What is what are they doing with it? Uh, and many experts uh, in Europe and elsewhere are saying that they're using the vaccines to divide uh, as yet another instrument for, to divide and to destabilize and to alienate uh, large parts of, of Europe in particular. Having said that. Uh, the Russian vaccine is to be found all over Central Europe, Central America, sorry, Central America. It's to be found over significant parts of the Middle East, not the Gulf states or Saudi Arabia. It's to be found in, in parts of, uh, of Latin America. Uh, and of course, it's to be found in the Balkans. Uh, and the president of, of Serbia uh, has, been, uh, has been advertising the fact that he can offer his citizens, the Chinese, the European, or the Russian vaccine, whereas other, other in other parts of the Balkans, Slovakia and Croatia in particular, uh, that, 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 the presence of the, so, the, the Russian vaccines has caused controversy, uh, and uh, ministers have resigned political controversy. Germany is a, is a very delicate uh, country from this point of view, because there are lots of lots of um, parts of Germany, especially former East Germany, who still re have respect for the, the scientific achievements of the of the old Soviet Union. And they are, they are happy to, to buy up the uh, the Soviet the Russian vaccine. Of course, the, the German central government does not approve of this. Uh, and they say we must wait for the European Medical Agency, Medicines Agency, which which uh, approves vaccines, and they still haven't still haven't proved approved the the Russian the Russian vaccine. I don't know why it's taking so long, uh, um, but uh, that is the case. Meanwhile, you know, Germany is a, a federal state, and so uh, the prime ministers of some states have been negotiating. Uh, on the side, more or less secretly, with, with the Russians to import vaccines. Same as happened in Italy, it must be said. 
Uh, the governor of the, the, the region of Naples has been negotiating to have Sputnik vaccines and he's actually imported them, hasn't actually distributed them, he has imported them. Uh, and in, in Lombardy, in the north of Italy, uh, certain people have made deals with Russia to build a Sputnik, a Sputnik vaccine factory. So all this is going on and is in an extension of geopolitics, a reflection of geopolitics. Uh, and it's the Russians which are causing the most controversy the most uh, at the moment. Um, because at the same time as they are pushing their own vaccine, they are carrying out a disinformation campaign against everybody else, especially the West, the Western ones, the, the, um, the, the Pfizer vaccine and the AstraZeneca and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and all the rest. Uh, they're using their well-practiced disinformation, subversive tactics to try and discredit other people's vaccines, uh, which seems to me you know, a contradiction in terms. It's like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. So on the one hand, you are, you are making friends, you're, making, you're building relationships, uh, you're winning admiration uh, and respect for your, your Sputnik Five, and at the same time, you're doing this nasty stuff underneath, under the table, uh, beyond, beyond sight all the while denying that you're doing it. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it makes the Russian position extremely ambiguous. So for all the countries that, that you mentioned, do you see vaccine diplomacy as the most powerful tool that vaccine-producing countries have to expand their soft power today? Well, <clears throat> there are, as I say, there are only, the, the only serious protagonists of this, uh, the, the ones who, who consciously try to use vaccine diplomacy is a tool of soft power, the Chinese and the Russians. Uh, the Americans don't do it. Uh, the EU doesn't do it. The EU does export a, a, a very large number uh, of vaccines. I mean, huge quantities of vaccines are exported from the EU by the EU. Uh, and you could say that is a typical EU, EU way of carrying on because the, the European Union is thought to be, a, above all, a soft power institution. Uh, which works by the force of example, uh, and this 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 can function in some sectors, uh, such as high tech, uh, such as Airbus, <coughs> such as green diplomacy, that sort of stuff. They, they, they have they have they've set standards and they've organised regulation in ways which have been copied around the world. Um, so the extent that the EU is is going to um, is going to use the, the vaccine as a, as, a, as a soft power tool. They're playing that down, and their public diplomacy has always been very weak as such. Their means of communication, doing you know, information, propaganda, call it what you will, they're always extremely weak at that. So, I mean, <clears throat> so even if people are, if the EU is exporting, you know, 10 million vaccines here, there, nobody knows about it. So, uh, to that extent, it's not really a soft power. It's not an effective soft power strategy. So you said that the U.S. is not using vaccine diplomacy as a soft power tool right now. But the prime minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, decided to order Chinese doses. What do you think this means for Chinese influence in Eastern Europe? And uh, do you think the United States will react as it has more and more excess doses by implementing a vaccine diplomacy strategy? Well, there's not, there's not much sign of that happening. It must be said. I'm sure they don't give they don't give a damn what what Orban does in Hungary with his vaccines. Um, there are controversies about uh, large numbers of unused AstraZeneca vaccines uh, 
uh, piling up in warehouses in the U.S. And our people are saying, why don't you export them? Why, are you, why don't you let, release them and let other people use them? And it's not clear what the answer is to, to that question. There's another problem. There is another problem. Uh, this is The Economist magazine from a couple of weeks ago, uh, in which they point out, and uh, this, this made a big impression on me, uh, the, um, that the Irish Prime Minister noted that the Pfizer vaccine involves 280 components from 86 suppliers in 19 countries. Indeed, American export controls particularly harm European vaccine companies, which need special bags from America in which to make their products. At a vaccine supply chain meeting in March, one such firm complained of 66-week delivery times for the supply of these bags. <coughs> America, American pharma firms are inconvenienced too. For example, Johnson & Johnson had intended to do the filling and finishing of its vaccine domestically. But export controls imposed by the, by the Biden government has forced, has forced it to change its plans. Scarce management time has then had to be spent securing deals for this business in Spain, Germany, France, and Italy, as well as transferring technology to local firms in South Africa and India. So uh, right now, uh, the way the, the US government is managing the, the vaccine situation is through the DPA, the Defense Protection Act, which uh, deal dates back to the 1950s and which uh, allows the government to, to ban, to veto the export of anything uh, which uh, it's think, it thought might be uh, more useful to America than anywhere else uh, and might be more, in, more urgently needed in America than anywhere else. And this, this covers you know, an enormous range of, of things which go into vaccine production. So uh, to this extent, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is not making any friends with its with its vaccine with its own idea of the way vaccine distribution should work. It's not even called, you can't even call it vaccine diplomacy. And would you say that governments choosing where to get their vaccines from is a political statement? Well, it depends if they're free to choose uh, uh, and what the offers are on the table. Uh, and certainly in cases like Hungary, it is a, it's a, it's a, a political statement. In the case of Albania, it's a political statement. Uh, in, in a case like Myanmar, uh, it's a political statement. What happened there is very interesting because uh, one of our colleagues just escaped from Myanmar just about the days or the hours before the coup took place. And he told us that, um, uh, that the leader of... Um, of Myanmar before she was arrested, Aung San Suu Kyi, she deliberately chose the Indian vaccine in order not to uh, fall into the clutches of the Chinese. You know, right. Myanmar is one of these countries always in tension between in, between between China and India, and she deliberately chose the Indian vaccine in order not to to um, <clears throat> uh, to fall uh, uh, on, in the clutches of the Chinese. The Pakistanis, on the other hand, have been happy to accept the, the Chinese vaccine. So in these cases, yes, certainly there are political implications by these choices. So I want to get to the example of China. We know that China has sent shipments of doses to Pakistan and Ethiopia. Do you think they're using vaccine diplomacy to bolster their influence within Belt and Road Initiative countries? 
I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, in fact, one of the, uh, the observers uh, in one of the think tanks in London said that explicitly already you know, a couple of months ago, that um, uh, China has moved health diplomacy right into the middle of the, the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, and that is that is a significant change, uh, right? Uh, you know, the, the vaccine situation has been so urgent that most moves have been tactical, uh, and that was certainly that's certainly the case in the first instance with with the Europeans, with with the, with the Indians, uh, even with the Russians. But now it's turning to be strategic, and that's certainly the case with China. So I think there's, I think we can certainly. We can certainly expect that the health diplomacy in general will move to the heart of the, the Belt and Road Initiative. So Some people have been doing it for years. I mean, the Cubans have been doing health right. diplomacy for decades. So do you think that the at least partial failure of the internationally sponsored COVAX program is due to governments uh, wanting to send direct shipments to specific countries to expand their influence? Well, that's not clear. Uh, it's obvious that um, it's one thing to allocate money to COVAX. It's another thing to allocate vaccines. And, and vaccine allocation depends on all kinds of factors, not least uh, production difficulties. It's very difficult to make vaccines. Each vaccine takes at least six months to make. Uh, so the actual availability comes into the picture as well. Then there are all these countries uh, where domestic pressures in, uh, in, insist, as in America, uh, as, in, as in Britain, that uh, um, the natives come first. This is not the case with Russia or China, not the case with Russia or China, who've you know, vaccinated far fewer people than they have vaccines for. Um, but the, um, the way COVAX is, seems to be bureaucratic, it depends on the World Health Organization, depends on coordination between a whole series of countries. Uh, and uh, and the, the, we, the, the gear wheels of this mechanism are turning over very slowly. So you mentioned Cuba. Is Cuba an unexpected player or want to be player in this arena? Or have they been utilizing uh, health diplomacy uh, in the past to expand their influence? Well, they, they like to be present, certainly. They don't have their own vaccine. Uh, they are certainly trying to develop it. Lots of people in them. There's something like 200 or 300 vaccines in, 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 in uh, various phases of uh, development at this moment. Uh, and I, I, I read one report which suggested they were collaborating with the Iranians of all people to uh, to make a vaccine. Uh, and when that happens, they will certainly be present. What has to be said is that when the the, the virus first appeared uh, at the beginning of last year, uh, the, the Cubans immediately started sending out medical teams to various parts of the world, including Italy, must be said, to help out and um, supplying ventilators and, and medical staff, medical personnel, nurses and doctors to help out uh, with the situation as it was then before the vaccines. I don't know how much credit they got for that. Uh, one of my students uh, is actually doing an MA thesis on this, uh, at this right at this moment. She's a Cuban-American, uh, and I'll have to see what the results are. But it seems to me they get the, the credit they get for this is almost invisible. Maybe within you know the the places they've been and the the hospitals they've been to they they are recognised. But if you if you look you judge on the basis of what you see in the media, 
I think the, the, the cost benefit return is very, very low. Well, Professor Elwood, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you very much for listening. This has been episode two of Perspectives with guest Professor David Elwood and host Josh Hillman. Please stay tuned for upcoming episodes.